This is a story of a man and a woman who lived in a beautiful garden. It's a story of a snake who tricked mankind for thousands of years. It's a story of God and his promises. It's the story of one who's coming back to crush the head of the snake. Give us that home we once had. Might have forgotten, lost. Biggest story. Morning, everybody. Whoa, that was loud. We are going to end the uh, second season in our big series this year called Grasping God's Big Story. And uh, in season one, what we did is we looked at how God's story begins, and it's a good story, all the good things that God has done. And now in season two, we've been talking about the crisis, which is the good story has been ruined by man's rebellion, by by sin as a result of that. And uh, in season three, which will start in May, we will look at how God has has uh, redeemed, has rectified that whole situation and put us into a much better place. And then we're going to talk about heaven uh, later this summer, if summer ever comes, all right? (laughs) But what I want to do today is I want to go back to uh, the story we looked at last weekend. And um, it's kind of a heavy message, to be honest with you. Um, We're going to be dealing with some some pretty significant things here. And... um, and I want to I address a question that is on so many people's minds right now. Uh, but before we do that, uh, let's have the reading of God's Word. I'm going to ask you to stand, something new I've been doing. Uh, and I've asked Pastor Tarman if he'd come up and read Genesis 4, 1 through 10 for us, please. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control your life. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You can be seated. Thank you, Tarman. Um, my son, uh, my oldest son, is an educator. He's head of a, uh, 
Christian school in North Carolina. And he called me uh, after Monday um, to talk about what happened and its effect on, on his school and how parents are sending in emails, are children safe at school, have we done everything we can to make sure they're protected. Obviously, I would assume most of you know what happened in Nashville last Monday, the taking of the innocent lives of children and adults in a Christian school. And he kind of left me with a, a question. And uh, the question is, why? Why is there so much uh, evil, hatred, violence, anger in our world today? I mean, it's always been there, I know, but, but how is it that in a society like our society, with all of our technical advances, all of our academics, all of, I mean, we've got the best of everything. Has there ever been a greater civilization in all the world? How is it that we have seen such an acceleration of violence, of hatred, like we do today? And as I thought about that question, I uh, realized that the story we looked at last weekend kind of speaks to it and points us to our only hope. And so I want to talk to you about something that we're all so familiar with we, because we talked about it last weekend, but I want, to, I want to actually go quite a bit deeper into it and give you insight into yourselves and into myself and the danger that all of us are in every day if we, if we don't learn the secret of conquering the beast that is in all of us. Now, you have probably heard that saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. How many of you heard that, right? Well, I came across a painting. It was painted by an Italian, Mariotto Albertellini. That sounds Italian, doesn't it? I mean, I almost want to say it with uh, Albertellini. But uh, he painted this in the 1500s. And it's been hanging in the art museum there at Harvard since about 1906. Now, I don't know what you think about his his abilities, etc. That's not the point of this picture, but I think he has tremendous insight into this story we've been looking at, Cain and Abel. And I want to kind of use it to amplify the text. So here's the picture uh, that he painted. And uh, I want to talk just a little bit about it. Obviously, over on, on this side, we have uh, Brother Abel making a sacrifice. I guess this must represent God, this cloud up there. And uh, uh, he's in a posture of humility, a posture of worship over there. When you look at this side, though, here's, uh, here's brother, big brother Cain, and um, quite a different posture as he's trying to uh, make his sacrifice. In fact, kind of look at how he's pressing against the altar there and trying to get that fire going and just kind of his stance he doesn't, he doesn't look real happy. We certainly know from the text that we read that uh, he was kind of miserable. Sin was making him miserable. In fact, let me be so blunt as to say that sin doesn't just make you miserable. Sin ruins you. It ruins you when you're young, like our students. It ruins you when you're a middle-aged adult. It ruins you in your older age. It not only ruins you and me, it also ruins our relationships. If we're married, it can ruin our marriage. 
If we have family, it can ruin our kids. It can ruin a church. We've seen that. <laughs> it ruins a community. It ruins a nation. Sin has a ruining effect. And I'm sure if we had time and you felt like you could be really open and transparent and honest, you could maybe tell some stories of how you have experienced its ruining effect in your life and your relationships. Certainly all of us could tell stories of how sin is ruining our world these days. And last weekend, the question I posed was, you know, how does this happen? And particularly, we, we just started out by, well, why did God reject Cain's sacrifice in the first place? And we actually went to New Testament to help us answer that question. Remember this passage in Hebrews chapter 11? It says there, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So what we learn there is that, you know, Abel was, was a man who trusted, who believed in God, who wanted a relationship with God. And so God counted him as being righteous, just like God did with Abraham. Abraham believed and trusted in God, and God accounted that to him as righteousness. The implication is that Cain lacked that kind of trust, that kind of belief, that kind of desire for a relationship with God. And therefore, in God's eyes, Cain was, was unrighteous. And then we went to a story in the New Testament that Jesus told about a brother. Remember the famous parable of the um, prodigal son? And he kind of wastes his whole life, and he comes back home, and his dad is so glad to have him home that his dad throws this, this, this party. He says, this son of ours who was lost has now been found. And the elder brother comes in from the fields, and uh, he wants to know what all the commotion is about, and he finds out that the father's throwing a party for his scoundrel brother. And he confronts his father, and he says, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm paraphrasing a bit. He says, you know, I, I'm out in the fields every day. I dot the I's, I cross the T's. I am a good son. And you've never thrown a party for me. And he gets angry with his dad. And he said, you know, that kind of gives us some insight into the elder son and maybe some insight into Cain. And that is that, you know, the elder brother had kind of this mindset that, that his father owed him for all of his goodness. Maybe Cain has the same kind of mindset. Look, I brought you an offering. Why isn't that enough? Why can't you be happy with what I have put on the altar? And then we talked a little bit about why we, why we make sacrifices, why we serve, why we give, why we worship, why you show up here on, on weekends. We said, you know, it can be for different reasons. One, it can be out of a genuine desire to worship God, connect with God. We said, secondly, it can be to get something from God. It's like, God, I did this for you, so my expectation is because I serve you, I give, I'm faithful, I worship, you know, I don't use bad words, I do all the right things. There's kind of an expectation, God, that you're going to really show up in my life and give me a little bit of favor. I want to add a third reason uh, this morning as to why uh, we sometimes show up at church and do our, our religious thing. 
and that is to get God off our back. Let's just be honest. You know, we go through the motions just to simply please God, make him happy so we can move on with our life. And though we may never say that, and that thought may not necessarily ever occur in our minds, the way we kind of treat our time with God reveals that we're, we're kind of checking the box because we feel like we have to check the box. I've been reading, uh, I try to read widely, and you know, one of the big questions that um, is being asked is why so many of our students, by the way, how many of you are 18 or under? Raise your hand. All right, let's give it up for our students, all right? Um, I thought it was hard when I was a kid growing up. It doesn't compare to what they're facing these days. But, you know, one of the questions out there is why are, why are students, when they go away from home and they go off to university or college or get a job, why is it they're leaving the faith in droves? I think a lot of times it's because they've just been checking the box off. I got to keep my parents off my back. I got to keep the youth pastor off my back. I got to keep the Christian culture a part of off my back. It's not that they necessarily really owned that. And of course, that's probably not true of our Wooddale students, but generally speaking, the population, that's what we're watching happen. Well, I don't think that Cain arrived to a place where he was so angry at God and so angry at his family that he just got up one day and decided, I'm just going to kill my older brother. I think this had been kind of brewing in his life. And I actually think it started maybe around a campfire. So what do you mean by that? I don't know. I, I looked at the text and I thought to myself, certainly at some point, Cain and Abel must have sat around the fire with their mom and dad, Adam and Eve, and, and asked them, you know, what was it like way back when over there? You know, Eden. What was it like? What happened? Now, I don't know if that was an uncomfortable conversation for Adam and Eve, if the boys had to kind of pull it out of them, or if Adam and Eve were, you know, that type of couple, that's all they could ever talk about. Yeah, we remember the good old days. Ground didn't fight us. They had to deal with weeds and thorns. There was no sickness. There were no aches and pains. In fact, boys back then, we didn't wear clothes because we weren't even self-conscious. We were, I mean, we didn't, there was no vulnerability. We, your, your mom and I, we didn't argue and fight with each other like we do now. And there was harmony, and, and, and we were with God, and we had this closeness with God, and God had this closeness with us, and ah, it was so good. And then he showed up, you know, the shining one, that serpent, he tried to convince us, and he did convince us. We listened to his lie, and we took what didn't belong to us, and we got expelled out of the garden, and well, here we are today, having to live with all the hardships that we're facing nowadays, and, and someday we're, someday we're going to die. Now, if you had been Cain and Abel sitting around and hearing that story, would it have made you a little bit angry? I think it might have made me a bit angry. Who would you have been angry at? 
The serpent? Your parents? God? Why did this have to happen? Why do we have to suffer the circumstances? We were even there. Why do we have to deal with all of this? And there's just different ways to respond to the hardships, the difficulties, the suffering, the unfairness of life. It's amazing. You can, I've seen it in families. I've seen it in families between husband and wife, between kids, where they respond to suffering and hardship and things that are unfair in life in two different directions. One will draw close to God, and the other will be angry at God, resentful towards God. Maybe you know something of that in your life personally. Maybe you know somebody who's responded the wrong way to all the things that happen in life. Let's go back to the picture again. Let's analyze this a little bit. Let's go back over here and and look at Brother Abel. I mean, obviously, this is the the, uh, artist's rendition, right? Uh, And I don't want to add to God's word, but I think it helps me understand God's word. I look at, look at Abel's posture. I mean, he's over here and he's, he's kneeling, right? There's a humility there. Hands are folded. He's, he's worshiping. And he's brought his sacrifice to God. He's brought, according to the text, his first and his best, which is kind of amazing because, you know, you would think that what he might do is wait until the lambing season is over, counted how many new lambs he has because that's his profit, and then decide... Of however many have been born, this is how many I'll sacrifice and give to God. And maybe I'll give to God the weak ones, the sick ones, the blemished ones. But he doesn't do that. He takes the first, he takes the best without knowing if there'll be more to come. And if there are more to come, how healthy they're going to be. And And he brings that and he offers it to God with no thought of himself, but only thinking about God. He wants this relationship with God. And then there's this interesting thing in the painting. This cloud, I think, kind of represents God over here. Let me get rid of that. All right? Notice that the sacrifice, it appears the sacrifice is lit by God. Almost with a sense of, I see what you brought me. I see your heart. And uh, boy, I accept that. I'm going to burn it up. Because it's pleasing to me. I see what you've done for me. Again, that's not in the text necessarily, but... It certainly speaks of God's acceptance. Now let's go over here to our man, Cain, all right? You get the sense that that Cain has, you know, he's brought his offering, his grain offering, or maybe his cabbage or whatever. He just kind of plops it up on the altar, right? And the poor guy's having a really hard time getting the thing lit. I mean, God's not helping him. And uh, he's huffing and he's puffing away. And notice, notice the smoke is coming right back in his face, right? In his eyes, in his nose, in his mouth. Those of you who have ever started a fire, you know, campfire, whatever, you know what that can be like, right? And the smoke starts coming in and it's just foul. And you don't like it. I can almost hear the guy swearing. <laughs> Why can't I get this blank, blank thing started? Why do I have to do this blank, blank thing? Why does, it, you know, why, why does the creator demand this? And, and why does he not help me out? And why doesn't he appreciate me? And why is life so hard? And why do good things, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And why did my parents have to mess up? And why did he create the serpent in the first place? And why did he stop them when all this happened? Have you ever asked questions like that? 
Maybe not quite like that, but haven't you ever had those moments? I know I have, when I just, I get frustrated with God. And I wonder, you know, where are you right now? Why do you let these things happen in public school and Christian school and malls and churches and places like that? Why, you know, why is it that you seem to favor some and I'm not one of them? Why do I have to suffer? Why are there so many injustices in life? And on and on it goes. And you know, the more you ask those kinds of questions, something starts to, something starts to brew in your gut, in your soul. What is it that starts to brew there? What is it that begins to happen in us? Because, you know, listen carefully, especially those of you who are younger, it's a dangerous thing to brood over what you and I may think are the injustices that God allows in this world or in our lives. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask, why, God? What's going on, God? We all do. We all should, okay? But it's a dangerous thing when you ask and you ask and you ask. And though you go to Scripture and though people try to give you wise answers, and there, there are reasons out there, right, that we, maybe we don't completely understand, but we know God's in control. We know that God knows what he's up to. We know we live in a sinful world. We know that this mess has not been created by God, but by us and our rebellion. When I refuse to accept those kinds of answers, and I just brood on that, it's, it's poisonous. And it becomes dangerous. And I'll show you why. Remember last week we said God asks uh, Cain some questions. And I said last week, when God, asks, <laughs> when God asks you a question, it's not because he's ignorant and, he's, and he, needs to, you know, he needs answers because he can't figure it out. When God says to, says to Cain, what's wrong with you? Why are you so depressed? Why are you hanging your head down? It's not because God needs to know. It's because Cain needs to know. Cain needs to examine himself and realize what's going on here. And then God gives him an insight because God says to him, listen, Cain, you need to take a good look inside. You need to deal with this attitude that's brewing in you right now. And then he says, because sin is crouching at your door. And literally, it wants to have its way with you. One scholar says that the language that's being used there is seductive and sexual in nature. It's like sin is saying, I want to ravish you. I want you. And a picture that comes to my mind is an Old Testament story, and that is uh, Joseph in Potiphar's house. Remember that story? Remember Potiphar's wife, Potiphar? That's not her name. Some of you wrote that down. Stop, please. All right? But remember, she had the hots for Joseph. She wanted him in the worst way. She wanted him to have sex with her. And Joseph said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sin against God. I'm not going to sin against your husband. You belong to him and not to me. And every day it says that she kept trying to get him. She was at the door. She was crouching. She was trying to entice him. Let me have my way with you. And she was not used to 
She was not used to hearing no. She was used to getting her way. Would you listen to me, please? Sin is used to getting its way. You and I are used to getting our way. And when somebody gets in the way, guess what? We don't like it. Have you noticed that? When your spouse gets in your way, when your kids get in your way, when your parents get in your way, when your boss gets in your way, when the neighbor gets in your way, when the pastor gets in your way, when the political party gets in your way, we don't like it. And if we can't get them out of our way, we get what? We get grumpy, we get irritable, we get angry, we become hateful when things get in the way of what we want. And then one day, when they were alone in the house together, remember, she grabbed him and said, lay with me now. <laughs> and thank God he ran out of his robe, literally, left her standing there. He was not going to let sin master him. And he paid a price for it. How about you? What, what form of sin is trying to get its way with you right now? I want to suggest to you that there, there are two shades that we always are dealing with. There is the shade of lust, sensual desire that's always crouching at our door, always wanting to come in and conceive its presence in our life. The other side of, of lust is hate and anger and jealousy. They're the same coin, just different sides. And that is always waiting for an opportunity to conceive itself and make us pregnant with it. That was graphic, wasn't it? And listen, the way we've been describing it so far, it's, it sounds like sin is on the outside trying to get in. But, but I hate to tell you this, you were born with it in you already. And it wants, it wants to have its way with you, students. It wants to have its way with you so badly. Mom and dad, it wants to have its way with you. Husband and wife, it wants to have its way with you. Single adults, it wants to have its way with you. Which, let me ask you a question right now. Which side is wanting to have its way with you right now? Are you battling sensual lusts right now? Are you battling anger and feeling betrayed or denied or let down or treated unfairly. One of those two. I know one of those two. Maybe both are constantly there wanting, wanting to have their way with you and with me. You know, when I was thinking about this, um, I, was on the, I was on my treadmill at home running because I won't run unless it's 50 degrees or warmer outside. I'm hoping to run by August, but anyway, <laughs> just kidding. And uh, because I can't just stand and run on a treadmill, I mean, goodness. I have, I, I will, I, usually I'll put a, a movie on or something, and I was watching, I was watching the uh, theological thriller Star Wars. <laughs> and I never really paid attention to it before, but I was thinking about these things, and there's this scene, and I thought to myself, you know, there's some really bad theology in Star Wars, but there's some... There's some things that hit pretty close to truth. And it's this one scene I want to show you. It's an extremely brief scene. But it's, it's when the, uh, the evil emperor is trying to, he's trying to have his way with young Luke Skywalker. 
And he's trying to get him, he's trying to get him to come to the dark side. Watch this. Now, in case you missed it, it's hard for me here at this point. Maybe you can hear it there, but here's what it says. He says, give in to your anger. Or you could say, give in to your lust, your passion. Good, he says, I can feel it. I can almost hear Satan saying that, can't you? Strike me down with all your hatred, and your journey to the dark side will be complete. And what's it all based on? What's he saying it's all based on? By giving into it. Want to know what's wrong with our world today? Want to know why there's an acceleration of hatred and violence in our world today? It's because people are giving into their passions. They're giving into hate. They're giving into evil. And it's having its way with our society, isn't it? It's having its way with our young people. It's having its way in marriages. It's having its way, listen, this grieves my heart. It's having its way in the church, in the body of Christ. Paul says in Galatians 5, there is a war inside of us between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. And you can tell who's winning by how they act out. Am I acting out in the spirit, which is contrary to the flesh, or am I acting out in the flesh? You see, God has left us like we were in the garden with free will. I have a choice. I can either let the Holy Spirit master me, or I can let sin master me. Why do people give in to hatred, by the way? Why do we give in to anger? Why do we give in to lust? The answer to the question is because we crave power. Anger is a demand. It always is. Anger is always a demand. Lust, passion is a demand for my sensual side's needs and desires to be met. And we're all bent, we're all bent toward that. Now listen to the listen to the psychology of this for a moment, okay? Why does Cain kill his brother? Still, for even though all that we said is true, why does he still kill his brother? Let me ask you a question. When, when you run into someone or something that really bothers you, how do you handle it? I have found that there are three ways to handle things or people that bother you. One, ignore them, ignore it. Right? Fingers in your ear, can't hear you, can't hear you. Shut your eyes, don't look at it, won't see it. The second thing is run away from them, it. Right? That's the second thing. Just get as far away as you can. Or the third thing is destroy it. Destroy them. Why does Cain kill Abel? Because every time he sees Abel, he sees what he is not and refuses to be. Evil wants to destroy everything 
that threatens it. So if you want to go back to Star Wars, why does the evil empire want to destroy the rebels? Because they represent the good side, right? There is a battle. There is a battle. And, and you know, all these themes that you see in the movies and things like that, all of them grow, actually, they grow out of a truth that's been just totally uh, uh, contorted and twisted. But there is a battle going on in our world today. There is an invisible battle taking place right now between evil and God's goodness. Not some force out there without a personality, but God himself. And like it or not, you and I are caught in the middle. And the choice is, who will I submit to? Who will I allow to master my life? You know what's sad in the story of Cain and Abel? What's really sad in the story is that um, when God, you know, after Cain murders his brother and God comes looking for him, which is, we talked about last week, is still a sign of God's grace. And God says, you know, where is your brother? His blood cries out to me. How does Cain respond? He says, Am I my brother's keeper? That comment reveals that he has indeed gone to the dark side. It is what Martin Luther called in Latin, incurvatus in sea, which literally means, Martin Luther said, sin is a turning in on ourselves. Once he kills his brother, He's killed his ideal. He's killed what he knows he should be. And now he is left to be overrun by his emotions, his feelings, his desires. Keep reading in chapter 4 and look at the effect it has on his whole family. Get down to Lamech. And look at Lamech's attitude. You read that. It's your homework this afternoon, okay? You read that. Look what Lamech says. He says, you know, if, I'll kill anybody who even puts a little scratch on me. That's what's happening in our world today. We are so turned in on ourselves that we just literally say, am I my brother's keeper? It's not about, it's not about anybody else. It's all about who? It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about who I am. It's all about what I want. And if you get in the way, guess what? I'll take you out. That is what we're facing in our world today. Now, some of you showed up this weekend, you thought, and, you, and right now you're thinking to yourself, I thought this was Palm Sunday. <laughs> I mean, aren't there supposed to be kids waving leaves right now? And aren't we supposed to be hearing a happy story of Jesus walking, you know, riding the donkey into Jerusalem? Why is he talking about Cain and Abel? Remember I said, this is one big story. It's God's story. Now, you know, it's not like... It's not like Palm Sunday is this little story over here, and Cain Abel is that little story over there, and David and Goliath is the story over there, and you know, there's some story here, and they're all kind of separated. No, 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 no. If you want to understand Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday, you've got to understand Cain and Abel. If you want to understand Cain and Abel, you've got to understand Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday. Because listen carefully. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, riding that donkey, he presented himself as a king to the people. And the people shouted, Hosanna, here comes our king. But those same people three days later said, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because they gave in to evil. You say, what do you mean by that? They gave in to this 
passion in us, this sinful passion in us, where we want to be the master of our own lives. And when they realized that to embrace Jesus meant they would have to make him and his way and his word the master of their lives, they rejected him. And they crucified him. Go back and read your Bibles carefully, and you'll discover that Satan, Satan hates and hated God. Why? Because Satan wanted to be God, didn't he? Read your Old Testament carefully, Isaiah and Ezekiel. God created Lucifer, and he's like probably the governor of the universe. He had a high status, one of the most beautiful of God's heavenly creation. And God gave him a free will like he gave Adam and Eve, and Satan turned against God and said, I'm not happy to be second in command. I want to be you. And of course, he could do nothing against God, so he attacked God's creation, right? And he's still attacking God's creation. Stay with me. And so when Jesus was born and God appeared in the flesh, Satan wanted to kill him in the, in the worst way. He wanted to get rid of him in the worst, worst way because, because he saw what he couldn't be. He was totally turned inward on himself. And so what did he do? He used human hatred to attack Christ and to try to destroy him. And he's still working that way. Unless you and I think, you know, it was the Romans, the Gentiles of Jesus' day that crucified him. It was, it was the Jews who crucified him. It was Satan who was trying to destroy Jesus. Please understand that, that you have the same hate in your heart that they did, and I have the same heart, the same hate in my heart that they did. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, our hearts are so wicked, they're so desperate, we don't even know them. And all of us could make a testimony today and say, yes, I know you're right because I have had thoughts, I've had ideas, maybe even I've had words. I pray, never physically, but all of us sense at times that our thoughts and our feelings are laced with hatred. And if we didn't restrict them, if we didn't tell ourselves no, if we didn't stop ourselves, We'd all kill each other off because it's there within us. And the question is, to what degree will I let it master me? Will I let it have control of me? And that's why I said every day, every day, you and I have to make a choice. Who is going to master my life? Christ or sin? Now, I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment because I want to give you an opportunity to use your God-given imagination to get, some, to get some victory here today. So just bow your heads for a moment, please. And would you just imagine that altar we saw in the painting for a moment? Except this time, get rid of Cain and get rid of Abel. Just see the altar. And I want you to imagine Jesus stretched out on that altar as a sacrifice for you and me, like he was stretched out on the cross. He's offering himself up to God, asking his Father to forgive us of our evil, forgive us of our hate, forgive us of our lust, forgive us of our sin. Now I want you to imagine yourself standing by that altar right now, 
Let me ask you a question. Whose posture do you have? Abel's or Cain's? Is your posture one of humility, one of worship, one of saying, oh God, I want you to be the master of my life, not sin, not evil, not hate. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I, I just want, I want a relationship with you more than anything else. I want you to master my life. God, please, here it is. Is that your posture every day? Or in all honesty, are you a little bit more like Cain? Having a hard time kneeling. Being driven by anger, jealousy, bitterness, resentment. It's creeping up, it's boiling up in your life. Don't let it have its way with you. Confess it to God. Ask him to forgive you right now. And maybe it's the other side of lust. Maybe it's you're struggling with sensuality, porn, or fornication, or some other sensual sin. And man, you need to confess and say, God, I don't want this thing to take over my life. I confess the struggle with you and I ask you to forgive me, oh God. Lord, help us. Help us to be more like Abel and less like Cain. In Jesus' name, amen.